You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Uh, that's it. Let's dive into the word of God. But before we do, we're going to take communion and we're going to pray. So if you have your communion ready, something to take that with, go ahead and get that out and we will take that together. Sound good? Awesome. If you have the bread, just hold it out in front of you. And just uh, and I'll say the prayer. You can just hold it in front of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to hold this bread and take this cup. Lord, we don't take this lightly. We thank you that your body was broken for our healing, broken for our um, prosperity, broken for our peace, broken for our favor, broken for everything physically that you wanted to bring into our life. So as we hold this bread, we declare that you were broken. And by your stripes, we were healed. The pressure and the pressing and the crushing that fell on you brought our healing, our wholeness, our prosperity, and it brought our favor in this life. So we thank you for standing in our place that we might receive the fullness of your grace, even right now manifested in our life as we take this bread. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. But let's take the cup real quick. you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup. We thank you for the ability and the opportunity to drink this cup, the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus shed for the remission of all our sin. And in you, we have total, complete forgiveness. In you, we have eternal righteousness. We are eternally redeemed. So we thank you that as we drink this cup, we declare that there is no Uh, There is no sickness, disease or death that can come into our homes or into our life where your blood is. Death must move on because your blood is over the doorpost of our house, of our families. And in you, we thank you that every promise that belongs to the righteous belongs to us because your blood has made us righteous. And so we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. If you have your Bible, we're going to open up in first Peter chapter three. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning, uh, but I'm coming to something. I was getting ready, uh, just this morning. Um, hold on one second. I apologize. Yeah, I was getting ready just this morning, going over some notes and some different ideas, uh, after looking at it over some stuff from last night. And, uh, as I did that, You know, I was just kind of mentally assessing, you know, when it comes to Bible study, when it comes to Sunday, you want to kind of keep it um, very different. And I say that carefully. I apologize again. I'm having to type something in and I want to make sure I get this correct. Cool. Um, But yeah, when it comes to your approach for a Bible study versus your approach to a church, you got to to a Sunday morning service. You got to understand Bible study. You're really kind of setting the precedent. So you're, you're digging a foundation. Um, you know, Jesus made a comment. He said, a wise man builds his house on stone, but a foolish man will build his house on sin. And so there's a difference here. Um, you know, when you come to a Bible study, if you were able to catch that Bible study we did last Friday, 
or any of the Bible studies that we've done, our Bible studies really try to set the foundation for what we say on Sundays. Um, Sunday, you're, you're, you're building this really nice and beautiful house. You're, you're sharing certain details. But when it comes to Bible study, you got to understand you're digging a foundation. The problem is a lot of people only want to go to church on Sundays. And I'm not saying this to anyone who's on here. Um, but if you only go to church on Sundays, what happens is this. When the storms of life come, your house might stand for a little while, but one day something is going to happen that's going to test the foundation of your house. That's going to test the foundation of what you've heard. And so the question is this, do you have enough foundation? Did you dig deep enough? Has there been enough foundation put into your life through the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God, uh, that when the storm comes, your house will still be standing. And so to me, that's what Bible study should do. Bible study should lay the foundation for what we believe to really set that foundation. So no matter what storm of life comes, you're rooted and you're grounded. And so when it comes to Bible study, sometimes we, we touch on topics that seem almost simplistic, almost seem elementary, but they're not. Um, last Friday, our Bible study, we were talking about sin. What's the greater sin? And we really just kind of looked at the church in Galatians uh, and the church in Corinth and kind of comparing the two going back and forth. And to be honest, I love it. I, I had fun with it. But when I went back and listened to it, I thought, man, I hope it's not too simple. But there's a simplicity there that brings a greater truth. And so if you get a chance, go back and listen to that Bible study. We actually shared it on the podcast and uh, we're doing a better job now of that. I apologize on my part. Um, but every message is on the podcast. In fact, if you want to, uh, I think the link should be in the description. You can go to centercharlotte.org forward slash messages. Or just go to centercharlotte.org, go to the website, and on the website, just click on Listen Now, and it should take you straight to the podcast. And so there, you can hear every message that we've done. So I want to encourage you, go back and listen to some of those Bible studies. In fact, they're actually labeled, uh, you'll see the title, then you'll see in parentheses, Bible study. So uh, if you get a chance, go back and just listen to those, um, and you know, let the Holy Spirit kind of put that foundation in for you. But I'm excited. Let's go ahead and do this. Are you ready? All right, so let's start in First Peter chapter... What did I say? Chapter three, first Peter chapter three. We're going to pick up at verse 10. In fact, we're only going to read verse 10. And if you know me, that drives me crazy. I hate taking verses out of context, um, but I, I studied the context enough to kind of take a step back and say, it's okay just to use this one verse. So look at this in first Peter chapter three, look at verse 10. He's actually quoting from Psalm 34, but he says this, he says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, in context, and I want to say this carefully, in context, you got to understand, he, he was talking to husbands, he was talking to wives, he was talking to, um, you know, he's telling the husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge, according to understanding. He's saying a lot of stuff about the relationship dynamic. And then he comes to this in verse 10, he says this, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, he goes on in verse 11 and verse 12 to add a little bit more to it, but I want to I want to stop just at verse 10 uh, because this morning I want to talk to you about the power of your words, all right? The power of your words. I grew up in a Word of Faith church, um, and one of the things I probably heard every single Sunday is that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know, I can't begin to tell you how many times I heard that statement, how many times I heard that verse, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And again, that's a great verse. It's a great verse, but again, I... Growing up, I didn't have that foundation. I didn't have that context. Now, yes, the Bible is true. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. But if the truth was known, all right, if the truth was known, most people who say reckless things, those things don't necessarily happen in that moment. Take, for example, um, a Christian who looks at someone and says, you're always late. 
You know, we don't consider that to be a curse. We just consider that to be an observation of someone who we work with that's always late. Or maybe it's your spouse, you know, don't get in trouble this morning. But my point is, we, we when we say things like that, we consider that to be an observation of somebody else. But from a Jewish perspective and from a godly perspective, you got to understand whenever you say something negative to someone or about someone or over someone, we'll say it that way. All right. You're literally cursing that person. Just by saying you are always late, you're cursing that person. When Jesus came to the fig tree in Mark chapter 11, I think it was, when he comes to the fig tree, he looks at the fig tree and he says this, uh, you, no one will ever eat fruit from you ever again. And he cursed the fig tree just by saying something negative to the fig tree. So the fig tree dries up and it dies. And the next day, Jesus and his disciples pass by and Peter is astounded. You spoke this over the tree and now the tree is dead. And so what you see is that Jesus uses his words. Now, knowing that, let me say this. We are all kings and priests by his blood. In fact, Revelation chapter one says by his blood, he's made all of us kings and priests. When you look at the priesthood, the priests don't work by doing things. They work by speaking, speaking. Yes, they kill the animals. Yes, they have to wash their hands. Yes, they have to light the manure. Yes, they have to bake the bread and do other things. But when it comes to the priest actually working, from God's perspective, the work of the priesthood is not what they do with their hands, but it's what they say with their mouth. All right. Think about this. When it comes to the kingship, all right, when it comes to being a king, kings don't work. Kings speak. If I was a king and I say this to our church all the time, if I was a king and I wanted the podium who's over here and I want it over here, I would be uh, I would be foolish to get up and say, I want this podium moved from here to here and then jump up, grab the podium and move it myself. No, a king doesn't do that. What a king does is a king says, I want this podium moved from here to here. And then he stays seated. And the powers that be, the guards, the servants, the soldiers, whoever is around, they understand the power of the king is not in what he does, but it's in his mouth. So they get up, they move the podium from one spot to the next. And likewise, all of us are kings and priests. Now, keep in mind, you are in Christ. If you've said, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, you are in Christ. And in Christ, you are seated in the King of Kings. In fact, in Revelations, he says this, you are seated on my throne with me, with me. All right. Your position isn't different from Christ as Jesus is. First John 4, uh, 4, 17, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So the same power and authority that Jesus has, you have as well. And so if you want to understand how to use that power, and I'm not saying this as if I have arrived, I mean, we're, we're all getting there together, but if you want to understand how to use that power, then you have to be able to acknowledge Jesus doesn't work by doing a lot of things. Jesus works by speaking. It's what he says. The power, the power that he exudes comes from what he says. He speaks over his life. Now, right here in first Peter, one more time, look at this in verse 10, Peter says this, he who would love life and see good days. The one who would love life and see good days. Now, I'm going to come to that in just a second. My mind just went back. Don't forget to say this. Again, growing up as a kid, I heard this probably every single Sunday. But the thing that made the difference for me was this. I realized that if everything a believer said came, came true, if everything I said um, actually happened, all right, the power of life and death is in the tongue. If, I, if everything I said came, you know, happened, I'd be dead a long time ago. And I'm not trying to be funny. Like, that's the God honest truth. If everything I ever said over myself, over someone else, let me say this, there'd be a lot of people who are dead and I'd probably be dead myself. Because the reality is I've been very reckless with the words I say. 
Jesus was really careful. In fact, he made a statement once. He said, every reckless word you say, you will be held accountable for it. All right. That's in the gospels. Go look it up for yourself. But my point in saying that is this. If that was true, we'd all be in trouble. So what I believe, and this is my this is my belief, but what I believe is that this is reserved for mature believers. Now I can show you some evidence of that. We're not here to go, we're not going that direction this morning. I'll save that for a Bible study as well. But I believe that that is for mature believers. Okay. In fact, I'll give you a tidbit. In Romans chapter 10, he says this: for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Righteousness, for with the heart you believe that God has made you right by faith, not by works but by faith with your heart, you believe that. And then once your heart believes that the next breath, he says this, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation, meaning confession is made to healing. Confession is made to life. The confession is made to favor, whatever you need from God. All you have to do is believe in your heart that you are right with God in spite of what you are doing and what you have done. When you believe that in your heart, the very next thing you say will produce that healing, will produce the life, it will produce the favor, it will produce whatever you need from God. But again, it's believing you are right with God by faith. Now I say maturity, and maybe we'll share this on Friday, I don't know. Uh, But when I say maturity, in Hebrews he says this, anyone who is not yet convinced, or let me say this, unskilled in the teaching of righteousness, still struggling with that truth, that you are right with God by faith, not by what you've done, but by faith. Anyone who doesn't really understand that, you're still a baby in Christ. And you still need milk. Now, we won't go that route. Again, that's just a tidbit. Maybe we can flesh that out one Friday night. Uh, but again, what I want you to see right here one more time in First Peter chapter 3. Last time we're going to read this. He says, he who would love life and see good days. God wants you to love life and see good days. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. But let me say this. This verse is not contingent on the, the, the condition of the world. Right now, in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, you can love life and see good days. God wants all of us to love life right now, right here, quarantined at home, to love life and see good days. But notice it's tied together with this. And I say this all the time. For every treasure, there is a key nearby. Look at this. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So right here, what he's saying is this. If you want to love life, watch what you say. Don't say the wrong things. Watch what you say. All right. Guard your mouth. You want to love life. You want to see good days. Then watch what you say. Don't just say everything. Don't say everything that comes to mind. Don't say everything uh, when you're emotional or in your feelings about something or someone. Just shut up. Walk away. All right. And remember that God wants you to love life and see good days. When things seem like they're falling apart around you. Remember, God wants me to love life and see good days. But if I'm going to love life and if I'm going to see good days, then I need to watch what's coming out of my mouth. Now, let's take this one step further. Look at this in Proverbs 18, 21. Look at this in Proverbs 18, 21. And I'm going to move through these uh, myself. Normally, I would give everyone a chance to catch up there. You can, or you can just take down notes and, and catch back up. Proverbs 18, 21. Solomon says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The verse we just quoted, right? Life and death or death and life are in the power of the tongue. Then he says this, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Interesting. Not be scared of it, but he says those who love it will eat its fruit. If you understand that what you say has the power to change your world around you, all right? If you love it, you'll eat its fruit. Now, on one hand, this is it. On one hand, we'll say it from the negative side first. Let's say this. He who would love life and see good days, let us keep him, let him keep his mouth from uh, 
you know, from saying the wrong things. Okay. On one hand, from a negative perspective, you say, okay, I, I want to say that this person's always late, but I'm not going to say that because this person is pivotal to my job and everything in my life or, or when it comes to your spouse. All right. You look at your spouse and you're not seeing the things that you would want to see. So you look at them and you say, I, I you know, normally I would say this, but wait a second. I want to love life. I want to see good days. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. So you hold on to it. That's fine. But right here, he's saying this. If you can learn to love that, that tool that God has put in your mouth, if you can learn to love it, then you can eat the fruit from it. So it's not just not saying bad things. You have to start saying good things. All right. Speak life. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit where this came from. Just this past week, I was listening to the uh, to the uh, marriage series that we did on the podcast. If you're on the Center Church podcast, scroll back to like the very first messages that we posted. Um, and around the time we were actually posting the uh, the marriage series that we did. And so I went back and I was just listening to it and I got to the one about husbands and I actually quoted this verse in that message about husbands. And uh, as I was listening to it, it dawned on me, when is the last time I spoke life over my wife? I speak it over my son all the time, but when's the last time I spoke life over my wife or to my wife about my wife? And I joke a lot. If you know me, I play a lot. Uh, but it just it, it dawned on me. That's something I need to get back to doing. And this is why we need to be hearing the word of God constantly, constantly and constantly. So anyways, I, I came back to this verse and I noticed that I didn't share this in that series on husbands and wives. But what I did do is I saw that, hey, look, this is something that we need to address. If you love it, you will eat the fruit from it. If you can speak life into your world, you can eat the fruit from it. Learn to use your mouth to change the world around you. Again, most of us have this idea that God helps those who help themselves. Let me say this. That verse does not exist. It doesn't exist. Most of us think God is good to those who are good to him. Again, that verse does not exist because that's not God's reality. God's reality is I have given you everything that you need. Now, relax. Now, speak. So all you have to do, speak, speak, speak. Now, keep in mind. Jesus gave us this right through the cross. He gave us this right. This is not, you know, let's just take this tool, go home, call it a good Sunday. Jesus did this for you. And the way he did it for you is this. When Jesus came into the world, he was the only king. All right. He was the only king. But what happened was this. As a king, he could speak and see everything. In fact, I was debating which miracle should we show, which miracle should we not show to show you how Jesus does it. And I'll show you in just a moment. But I was debating in my head, how do we do this? You know, what, what, what should we show? And it dawned on me is that, you know, what Jesus was doing was he was showing them one day when you get what I have, this is how you'll do it. All right. Now, when he dies at the cross, he doesn't die as a king should die. He dies as a servant or a slave or as a thief between two thieves should die. So in dying that way, he gives us his position of kingship. So now once he's been resurrected, he's not the only king anymore. Now he's the king of kings, all of us. And now that we are kings in him and we have his example to follow, how does Jesus do it? When he speaks, he moves as if what he said is going to happen. All right. And the same way, all of us, Jesus doesn't speak negative things to anybody, anyone he's trying to help. He speaks positive things to him. In fact, the story I was going to share with you is in John chapter 11. Now, in John chapter 11, what's interesting is this. John chapter 11, Jesus is, uh, he's been told that Lazarus is dead. In fact, John 11, 11, they come to him, they say, Lazarus is dead. Uh, you know, what do you want to do? And Jesus says, all right, let's go to him. But keep in mind, he waited two days before he went. Well, anyways, by the time he leaves, uh, he says, we need to go wake up Lazarus. That's the way he says it. Let's go wake up Lazarus. And they all kind of look at each other and they say, Jesus, if Lazarus is asleep, 
Why do we need to go wake him up? <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and he has to tell them, Lazarus is dead. In fact, if you look it up for yourself in John 11, look at 11 to verse 11 to 14. He actually looks at him and says, he is dead. But what you realize is Jesus literally wanted, he, he spoke what he wanted to see so much that it confused the people who had been spending all their time with him. I mean, he spoke by faith so much that it confused the people who were spending their time with him. Jesus knew Lazarus was dead, but he did not want to show up to Lazarus's grave and believe, I'm sorry, he didn't want to show up to Lazarus' grave having spoken death over him. So what he did was he spoke, Lazarus is just sleep. And when we go, we're going to wake him up. Now, I want you to keep in mind, Jesus didn't actually see that Lazarus was dead. They told Jesus, Lazarus is dead. The, 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 the message that was brought to him is Lazarus was dead. And when I was meditating on this, just even yesterday, when I was meditating on this, I felt impressed from the Lord. He said, son, you're developing ideas and opinions on what other people have told you. Not what you even seen with your own eyes. You're developing ideas and opinions based on what other people have told you. And he says, son, you've got to stop. Jesus was told Lazarus is dead. He could have taken what they told him and said, I know he's dead. I believe he's dead. And then that would have been a completely different scenario. But right here in John chapter 11, they told him Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, okay, we're going to go wake him up. You know why? Because it's easier to have faith to believe you can wake someone up than it is to believe that you're going to have to raise them from the dead. Now, I don't think Jesus has any issue with believing and having faith. But my point in saying all that is this. He's trying to set a precedence for all of us to follow behind him. At the end of the day, all right, the precedence that we follow is what? We speak what we want to see. And when Jesus got there, Lazarus come forth. The miracle happened. Now, look at this for me in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6. Whenever we talk about spiritual warfare as a church, uh, we always use this, uh, this verse, this passage, all right? Because Paul talks about the armor of God. Dressed up. Nowhere to go. <laughs> Look at this in Ephesians chapter six. Let's pick up at verse 14, just so that we have some context. Verse 14 says this, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm reading from the new King James, which is the best translation ever. Anyways, he says in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 16, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's back up to verse 17 one more time. Look at verse 17. He says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, when I was a kid, they used to say, you know, take up the, the sword of the spirit. In fact, in children's church, I don't know if you uh, were... So I don't know what the word is if you were ever thrown into this, but in our church, Word of Faith Church, again, um, they, they donned us in the whole armor of God outfit. We got to walk down the aisle uh, for the church service, holding up little plastic swords, the sword of the spirit. I'm not going to sing it. The 
uh, I think it was the gospel bill, if I'm not mistaken, the the song, that's a throwback. Maybe we'll share it to the church page just for, um, for memory's sake. But anyways, we did the whole, you know, I got my gospel shoes on, you know, the whole, <laughs> I'm not going to do that for you. But anyways, uh, we did all that. And when I was a kid, to me, the sort of the spirit was the Bible. Let me show you the good side. This is the worn out side. Anyways, you know, we would hold up our Bible and this was the sort of the spirit. And so we would literally say the word of God, which is, this is the word of God. This is the sort of the spirit. Yeah. You know? And so my understanding of the sort of the spirit was, it was the word of God. Um, now, obviously when I got a little bit older, that didn't really change much. Cause again, I never took the time to look it up for myself, but the sword of the spirit by implication was the Bible, which is the word of God. Now, let me say this, the word for the Greek word for the word word of God, that Greek word is actually the word rhema. Now, there's two words in the Greek that speak to um, our English word word. Let's say, for example, I'm saying that, hey, I want you to go get your word of God. I'm talking about the Bible, what's being written. OK, everything that's been written in the word of God that constitutes the word of God. Right. But on the other hand, I can say God gave me a word last night. That's not the written word. That's something different. That's called the spoken word. All right. Now, knowing the difference between the two is crucial because on one hand, something is written. Something's being spoken. Now, the spoken word of God will always line up with the written word of God. But sometimes the delivery is a little bit different. Now, I say that to say this right here. He says this verse 17 and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, how do you use the sword of the spirit? Not only how do you use it? If you want to know how to use it, you have to know what it is. Now, the word of God right here, the word rhema is not the word logos. Logos is something that's been written, but the word rhema is something that's been uttered, something that's been spoken. So right here, when he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the spoken word of God, what you have to understand is, is what God has said. Now you say, well, Matthew, all scripture is God breathed. And I quoted that last Friday. All scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Yeah, I get that. I get that. All scripture has been breathed by God, but it's the spoken word that acts like the sword. Let's say, for example, you're here on this Facebook, you know, feed, you're, you're, you're getting this or you're hearing this on a podcast, wherever you're getting it. All right. Let's say you're, you're listening to this and you get this and you hear something that just resonates with you. You're like, man, that was good. So you hold on to it. You write it down. Well, when you leave here, you say it over yourself. You say, well, Matthew said, um, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ in spite of me. All right. And that's the one thing that, that triggers with you. So you hold on to it and you say it over yourself. I am the righteous. And you just keep saying, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am. And, and you know, you make a mistake and you stand up and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You go to work, things are going wrong. You just keep saying it to yourself, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You are declaring this by faith. The more you say it, the more you say it. What happens is you're actually spiritually speaking. You're using the sword to cut off everything the enemy is trying to attach to you. Now, I can show you that. But again, go to the podcast for our spiritual warfare series. But I'm saying that to say this, the way the sword works, the sword literally, it literally what it does is this. It cuts off everything that your spiritual enemy is trying to attach into your life. So all you have to do is say it out loud. Now, again, by using the word rhema right here, instead of the word logos, what happens is this. If you don't open your mouth, you're never actually using the sword. You have to open your mouth. How do you take up the sword? You don't take it up by something that's already been taken. What you do is this. You take it up by actually speaking it out. If God's word says by his stripes, you were healed, then you have to open your mouth and you have to declare over yourself. In fact, we were talking about faith um, a couple of months ago at church. You know, a lot of people look at James where James said this faith without works is dead. 
But in our message on faith months ago, uh, what we found was this. It's not faith without works. Works was doing something. The works he's talking about right there in James, in context, the work he was talking about was actually speaking. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't speak, it won't do a thing for you. So it's no different right here. He's given all of us a sword, but if you don't open your mouth and use it, then it won't help you. So right here, again, the power of life and death is in the tongue. The sword is in the mouth. Look at this in Matthew chapter four. Look at this in Matthew chapter four. And let me say this. This is where I miss being together with you at church because this is where I would literally turn and point at the screen. But <laughs> we can't do that, right? No. In fact, I'm trying to figure out a way to put that together where we can actually stream this live and I can show you the slides and show you the verses and you won't actually have to wait and look and we'll figure all that out later. But anyways, Matthew chapter four. Now look at verse one, talking about the sword of the spirit. Watch this. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Keep in mind, Jesus has just been baptized. And as soon as he's finished baptized, the Holy Spirit says, let me bring you into the wilderness to be tempted. Now watch this. Verse two. It says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Watch this verse four. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right here. Really interesting. Right here. The word every word that that word. All right, our English word for word, every word that is, I'm sorry, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the word word right here is not the word logos, it's the word rhema. Again, it's the word rhema. And what Jesus is saying is this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, what happened was this, the church took that and not knowing the difference between rhema and logos, what we did was this, we said we don't live by bread alone, but by every word, talking about the the, the Bible, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what we did was we confused people and threw people off. Jesus wasn't saying, run back to the Bible every time. Jesus was saying, what has God spoken to you? That is the word that you'll live off of. Now, I'm not saying, again, the rhema and the logos, what God is speaking will always line up with what God has written. It will always line up. But in light of what Jesus is saying, let's look at his example. Do you know that Jesus, when he came out of the water from being baptized, God spoke audibly, out loud, and everyone who was around Jesus heard God say this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The last thing he heard God say was, you are the son that I love and I am pleased in you. Then 40 days later, he's in the wilderness and the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, notice the difference. He drops the word beloved. He drops the word, the loved son of God. Instead of saying the loved son, he just says, if you are the son. Now, we've talked about that before. Again, when you drop the love of God, you set a person up for failure. But when you bring in the love of God, you set people up for good success. All right. Now, what happens is this. Jesus just heard God say, you are the son that I love. Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son, he drops love. What was the sword that Jesus used to win? knowing, first of all, the sword he used was this, the spoken word of God. What we just saw in Ephesians, he used the spoken word of God. But secondly, it was the spoken word of God that was rooted and grounded in the love of God. You see, and we got to be really careful about saying this. 
there's a lot of people who will tell you, you know, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, thus saith the Lord, um, God showed me this in a vision, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, I literally cannot tell you how many times as a pastor, when people find out you're a pastor, all of a sudden God has been talking to them for thousands of years. And I mean, you know, that's, I'm exaggerating, but that's my point. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Now I'll say this carefully. There've been times I thought I heard from the Lord only to realize I didn't hear from the Lord. All right. I just really wanted to do something. And in my own conscience or whatever, in my mind, I said, this is from the Lord. It must be God telling me to do this only to realize I missed it. That wasn't the Lord. So I can't tell you how many times people have told me literally, Matthew, the Lord told me this. It's the craziest things. But the way you stay safe is this. Is it rooted and grounded in God's love for me? Simple. Is it rooted and grounded in God's love for me? What Jesus heard from God was rooted and grounded in God's love for him. God said out loud, you are my beloved son, my son that I love. I'm pleased in you. When Satan came to him, he said, if you are the son, dropping the word love. And Jesus won. He won that temptation by saying, no, 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 no. We don't live by what is written. We live by what is spoken. And what was spoken was grounded and rooted in God's love for him. Likewise, what is God saying to you? It'll always be rooted and grounded in his love for you. Let me say this. If you go to work tomorrow morning and you say, oh, Lord, you know, you're praying on your way to work. And all of a sudden you hear God say, you've done X, Y, and Z, so I can't do this for you. Let me say this. You're not hearing from the Lord. Safe answer, right? <laughs> all right. But if you're on your way to work tomorrow and you hear the Lord say this to you, I love you. There's nothing to worry about. Let me say this. There is nothing to worry about. He loves you. God doesn't have to say out loud every time he speaks to you that he loves you. But my point is this. If what you're hearing from the Lord is rooted and grounded in his love for you, you can be safe and sure that that most likely is the Lord talking to you. Now, I'm saying all that to say this again. What was the weapon he used? The utter spoken word of God, the rhema. Now, going back to what we started off with, and I'm going to bring this to a close in just a second. Going back to what we started off with. He who would love life and see good days. God wants you to love life and see good days. But the trick is to do what? Speak, speak, speak it out. You have to say it out of your mouth. Say it out loud. Speak it out loud, right? In fact, look at this. Um, oh, man. <laughs> uh, you can turn to Psalm 119, but I'm going to share something with you real quick. In Revelation chapter one, you can turn to Psalm 119. I'm just going to turn to Revelation real quick for the sake of time. I want you to see this before I close. You can turn to Psalm 119. We're going to look at one more verse, but I just want to share this with you. In Revelation 1, and my mom is studying this right now, uh, and I think next Sunday you're going to get her. I, I think so. I'm not mistaken, but I'm, I'm pretty sure she's going to be doing this next Sunday. Uh, so yeah, I get the Sunday off. But we'll still be here Friday for Bible study. So tune in Friday night for our Bible study. Uh, look at this. In Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision of Jesus, a vision of him. And in Revelation chapter one, verse 16, he says this, Jesus had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword. Notice he's got seven stars in his hand, but out of his mouth comes a sharp two edged sword. All right. A, a double bladed sword, but it comes out of his mouth. So again, he said in what Ephesians, he said, take up the sword of the spirit. What is he talking about? It's the word, what you say. It's not something that you're holding in your hands. It's what you say. All right. How did Jesus win in the wilderness? How did he use the sword of the spirit by what he said? 
right here in Revelation, John sees Jesus exalted and glory glorified. All right. He sees the glorified, exalted Jesus appear to him. And when he looks at him, he sees the sword coming out of his mouth, meaning that the sword of the spirit is not what you hold in your hands physically, but it's what you say out of your mouth. In fact, if that's not enough in Revelation chapter two, verse 12. Again, Jesus is saying to the angel uh, of the church of Pergamos, right? These things says he who has the sharp two edged sword. And again, the sword is not what you're holding. It's what you're saying. Let me say this. You have the potential to have a sword in your hands at any point of the day. But if you don't open your mouth, you'll never be able to use it. Now, let me close with this. Psalm 119. I asked you to turn there. Psalm 119. Let me turn there myself. Psalm 119. And I'm going to close with this. This is a well-known verse. All right. Well-known verse. But again, my heart for all of you, and I know this was fairly short for what we normally do, but my heart for all of you is this. God wants you to love life and see good days. I want you to love life and see good days. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and a crisis, but that does not mean you cannot still love life and see good days. All right. In the middle of this craziness and the chaos, let me say this, you know, the church is divided on a lot of different issues. Uh, our country is divided on even more issues. But at the end of the day, no matter what happens, God wants you to love life and see good days. All right. And let me say this before we say this last verse and close. A lot of people love to use that, that fallback. Well, God is in control. God is in control. I heard a preacher say just a week ago, he said this. Everyone who says God is in control. Do you realize that the very first command that God gave to man was to take control? <laughs> I'm serious. He said the very first command in Genesis was take dominion over all living creatures and everything that crawls. I mean, the first command from God was to take control. Our fallback is, well, God is in control because, you know, we don't know how to cope with the reality of sin in the world. We don't know how to cope with the reality of death in the world. So we just throw it back on God and say, well, God is in control. But God is giving control over to men. God created this world and he gave it to us and said, now I can help you, but you got to ask me to help you. I won't just force myself onto you. Whatever's going on in the world, let me say this, it is spiraling out of control. There is death. There is destruction. Things are getting worse. They're not getting better. But know this, in the middle of all the chaos, I'm going to show you how to enjoy life and see good days. Don't just write everything off to, well, God is in control. No, 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 no. Come to me and I will show you how to love life and see good days. And right here, what do we see? It's what we say. It's what we're saying and what we're not saying. Guard your mouth for out of it springs forth the the. I can't remember now, but out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks out of your heart, spring forth the issues of life. Whatever you need in life will come from your heart. But listen, out of your heart, it comes through your mouth. Guard your mouth. Don't say the wrong things. Say the right things. Let me close with this. Psalm 119 verse 105. And again, this is a well-known verse in the church. If you've heard it before, great. Hopefully I can shed some light onto it. I <laughs> shed some light. Uh, watch this. Verse 105. David says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. <laughs> Shed some light on this. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. All right? Your word. Now, again, for years, as a kid, for years, I thought it was, your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light to my path. But then I looked up the word for word in the Hebrew. And what I found is that it's actually not the written word, the Torah, the instructions, it's not the Torah. It's actually the word Dabar in the Hebrew, the word Dabar. And Dabar actually literally means something that is spoken, something that's uttered. It's the Hebrew uh, 
word for, uh, what do we see? For Rhema, all right? Rhema and Debar literally could be uh, interchangeable because it's the Hebrew word for it, all right? So instead of Rhema in Hebrew, it's the word Debar, something that's spoken out loud. Now, knowing that, knowing that, he says, your word, your spoken word is a lamp to my feet and is a light to my path. Let me say this. When you speak over your life, what God has spoken to you, when you speak over your life, what God has said in his word, when you open your Bible and you say, you know what? I know that I have these symptoms. I know that my nose is running or that my throat doesn't feel right. Or, you know, I have a back pain or, or, you know, let me say this. When you speak life over that, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. When you speak, literally, you're shining light on everything that's not, that should not be there. You know that the, uh, I think I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but he literally says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness ran or the darkness hid from it because the darkness could not stand in the light. Let me say this. Jesus is the light of the world. In you, you have the light of the world. When you shine light on a lie, the truth is exposed. The lie is that you are sick. The lie is that things are going wrong. The lie is that things are falling apart. The lie is that that relationship will never be repaired. The lie is that everything is against you. All these people are against you. The lie is that you don't have favor at work. The lie is that you don't have favor at home. The lie is that your children don't honor you. They don't respect you. The lie is all these things that you see in your life. But let me say this. When you shine the light on them, the truth will be exposed. The truth is you do have respect with your children. The truth is that you do have honor with your family. You do have, the truth is you do have favor at work. The truth is not what you see and it's not your reality. The truth is God's reality. And when you speak the word of God over your life, God's reality begins to manifest in your life. Now, again, I'm not saying this as if I have already arrived. I have seen this in my life. I have seen this. So I can't speak from experience, but let me say this. My experience pales in comparison to the fact that God's word will never change. My experiences, my stories, all of the things I could bring to the table, they fail in comparison to the reality that God's word will never change. So you don't need a story from me to prove this. You don't need me to tell you I have seen this in my life. All you really need is God's word to show you, hey, look, this is real and this is true. When you speak God's reality over your life, God's reality will start to manifest. We serve a God who speaks things into existence as if they were. He looks at something that's dead and says, this is alive. And guess what happens? Comes to life. When God looked at the darkness, he didn't want to see darkness. He wanted to see light. So what did he do? Light be. He didn't say, whoa, look how dark it is. You know, <laughs> he didn't use his words carelessly. No, he used his words to speak and see what he wanted to see. Likewise, we take God's word and say, okay, wait a second. What is not right? What's not right? You know, in the middle of this crisis and this pandemic, let me say this. On one hand, the government's saying we want to issue more money. On the other hand, they're saying, but we don't want to issue more money. Uh, you know, our job, my job, particularly, we're looking at our, um, our financial situation. They're saying, okay, um, can we give more hours? Can we not give more hours? What are we doing? You know, across the board, everyone's looking at their life from a different perspective that we've never really thought about in the last three or four months up until this point. But now because this pandemic, we're all in a specific and unique situation. But in the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this, God still wants you to love life and see good days. Jesus paid for this at the cross so that you could enjoy life and see good days. All right. I could keep going, but I'm not. Like I said, I'm going to let you go. But let me say this. There's nothing more tragic than someone who can't wait for the day to end. 
There's nothing more tragic than someone who says, you know, I just can't wait for this day to be over. Uh, I actually read a report that said more uh, deaths happen on Monday mornings than they do any other time of the week. And I thought that was crazy. But what does it tell you? People live for the weekends. We live for Friday. We live for Saturday. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm not there. I've been there myself many times. I can't wait for Friday. God, I can't wait. There's one more day. One more day, right? We live for the weekend. But keep in mind, God doesn't want you to wait for the weekend. He wants you to love life, love Mondays, love Tuesdays, love Wednesdays. Be that person that loves life so much that it becomes contagious, that people around you see, man, he loves life. Man, she loves life. Man, she just sees good days or he sees good days, whatever it is. Be that person that that becomes your reality. Man, I love life and I see good days. And because I love life, the people around me are loving life too. Speak God's word over your life so much that it becomes contagious to the people around you. I love you, but I'm going to pray for you. If you can, just hold your hands out in front of you. Years ago, when I was at uh, high school, we had this teacher. She was awesome, Miss Emmerich. Some of you who are my friends know who I'm talking about. She would always say, little lambs, put your hands out in front of you. So we would do like this as a sign of receiving from God. But you can put your hands up. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that was able to watch this video this morning or if they're listening to this on the podcast, wherever they're getting. Father, for everyone who tuned into this, I'm grateful and I thank you for this, Lord. And Lord, I ask you right now that for everyone who could tune into this, Lord, that you would do something amazing for them, do something special and something unique for them, even as they're hearing this message. Father, do something for them to show them that you, number one, that you love them. But number two, number two, I know the cross was more than enough, but do something spectacular, something really cool and unique just to show them, hey, I love you. And I do want you to love life. I do want you to see good days. And so, Father, in the middle of all of that, I ask you, Lord, that you would do that for them. Uh, And in the midst of this pandemic, that you would do that for them. Father, that you would make a difference between them and everyone else in the world. And so right now I speak this blessing, Lord. You said when we pronounce this blessing over your people, we are putting your name on them and we are showing the world that we belong to you. So may the Lord bless you when you're going out and in your coming in. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you, even in the midst of this crisis. May he continue to open doors of opportunity for you and for your business. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I love you. I love you. I love you. Again, thank you for sticking it out with me this long. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.